connect, grow, and serve. And that's what we're going to be talking about this summer series. And we're going to be talking about how you and I can live out the purposes of our church, but also make them individual purposes. How can I connect with God? How can I grow in my relationship with God? How can I ultimately serve God by serving others? And the amazing thing is being in the body of Christ, there are people, each and every one of us, have different gifts, different abilities, different opportunities, where not one of you, God has said, I didn't quite mean to make you. Every single one of you, God created with a plan and with a purpose. And I firmly believe that you are right here where you are today for a purpose. So with that in mind, we're going to take a time just right now, and we're going to pray. And as I pray and ask God to bless the message and bless his word, I'm going to ask you to, in your mind, pray silently along with me and, and say this, God, what do you have for me today? What do you have for me, and you can teach me today so that I can be the person you want me to be. I can connect with you this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, that you will use the words that are spoken for your honor and your glory. I pray that the distractions uh, around us and the, the things that are taking place later on today and later on this week will be in the back of our mind, Lord, and we'll be able to focus upon what you have for us today. I pray that we'll be able to, to be honest, and, and as you prompt us, that we will evaluate our lives and evaluate where we are so we can ultimately connect, grow, and serve and be the people you created us to be. And in Jesus' name, amen. I have a little game to start off today. And I don't often start off with games, but today's a game. It's a word association game. And I want to start off with some word associations and doing things that are opposite. The opposite. So therefore, if I was to say cold, you would say hot. And if you were to say before, Day, in, dry. Context, though, with word association is incredibly important. And thinking about opposites is amazing. You didn't have to think about, now, if it's on, it's off. But what about context? Context is incredibly important. You didn't know if it was a switch turning on the lights or shutting off the lights. It may have been the word on as in you are on the bed. And the opposite, of course, then would be off. Well done. See, thank you, Chrissy, for playing along. Context is incredibly important. With the opposites, things that instantly come to your mind. I was thinking through this, and this came to my mind, so I looked up these words. And it was amazing. I got 100% correct. You know, boom, boom, boom. I was like, yes, flashcards for three-year-olds. And I uh, work perfectly. But with context, you can say something is light. The opposite would be dark. But what about light and heavy? With this happy new year, and we're looking forward to 2018, we need to begin asking ourselves, in what context are we? And also with that, we can look at verses in the Bible, and the context is incredibly important. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you, open them to James chapter number 4. And we're going to be 
almost exclusively in James chapter 4, and it's on the screen for you, James 4.10. And it's a very simple phrase that we've taken from verse number 10 in this passage. To give you a little bit of context, the book of James is written by a man named James. Oh, that was a hard one to guess. And James is actually the physical half-brother of Jesus. Through James's entire life, he was not a follower of, of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But after Jesus died and rose from the dead, James became a follower of Christ. He became a believer. And he became a, a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And he wrote a very powerful, practical letter to the church about how we are to live our lives. And he talks about um, the correct way to live. Also, he talked about conflict in that when we have conflict in our lives, how do we, we overcome that? And that was going to chapter 3, and then going into chapter number 4, he talks about where are all these conflicts, where are all these wars coming from? And he gives us some teaching here. At the end of this teaching, he says this, the Lord will exalt you. And I like that part, don't you? I like it when I can go through and read and find out, oh, God's going to bless me. The word exalt quite literally means to lift up, to raise up or to elevate. And we read things like that and go, that's what I want in 2018. In fact, I doubt any of you woke up on January 1st and go, this year, I can't wait for this to be the worst year of my life. I, I'm sure all of you went, this year I want it to be a great year. We're going to make some changes, we're going to do some things, and it's going to be a wonderful 2018. And we read verses like that and we go, the Lord will exalt you, the Lord will lift you up. That's exactly what I want. But we have to look at context. What's he talking about? And how can we find the blessings of God in 2018? I believe that this year, it can be a wonderful year for you as an individual. It could be a wonderful year spiritually and relationally within your family structure. It can be a great year financially. It can be a great year working together with others and seeing how we can move forward. It can be even possibly a great year you know, health-wise for some of us, or, or you, <laughs> anyway. And you look at your life, you know, it's going to be a great year. Let's go back and find out what the book of James teaches about how it can be a great year. Because many of us, although we may start off the year going, it's going to be great, life happens. It may be a very difficult year for you relationally. It may be a very difficult year for you financially or health-wise. And you may be, this may be actually the worst year of your life coming up. But how can we still claim the promises that the Lord will exalt you, the Lord will lift you up, the Lord will elevate you, the Lord will sustain you, even when our circumstances say the opposite? To be honest with you, it's so easy to be a follower of Jesus Christ and a Christian when life is easy and everything is going smooth. But what about when it's not? But what about when it's difficult? And this year... I want to begin the beginning of the year 
talking about connecting with God, not just because it's part of our purposes of our church, and we're trying to, to, you know, in a sense, build you up and talk about the focus of our own local church, but it's because I firmly believe in my own life I need messages like this because I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I don't know what news is going to take place, whether my financial security is going to be around, my relational security, whether or not my health is going to be sustained. So therefore, I know that I need messages like this, and maybe you do too. In your bulletin, we have a principle. And the principle is this. God will lift me up when I connect with Him. When I connect with Him. I believe that we need to connect with God in order to be lifted up. Connecting with God is the, quite the opposite of pride. Pride will say, God, you come along and join me in what I'm doing. Humility and connecting with God in a humble way. Remember I talked about opposites earlier? The opposite of pride is humility. And the way that we're going to connect with God is to come to God humbly and say, God, I cannot do life on my own. And that is, seems like a, a, a position of weakness, but I firmly believe it's a position of power. Because as soon as you admit that you need help, as soon as you admit that, God, I need you with me at the, every moment of my life, that's the moment of strength for this next year for you and I. Every person here today can live a life that is exalted or lifted up or built up by God by obeying two commands. This morning I have two main points, and underneath each point I have three sub-points. And we're going to walk through these. This, the first one is the enemies to avoid. The second is the instructions to follow. So one's a thing to avoid, and the other is to follow something. And we're going to read James chapter number 4. We're going to read the first 10 verses of that chapter, and then we're going to make some application from your life and from my life. Let's begin reading in James chapter 4, verse 1. If you don't have your Bibles, it will be on the screen for you to follow. It says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Just the first verse is incredibly relatable, probably to your household, because it certainly is to mine. School holidays are already too long. After the first week of bliss, you walk in and you go, this, you say this, of course this is written 2,000 years ago, but you say it in a more modern way. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you children? And in a similar way, James is asking this question for us in our lives. Where are all the fights originating from? What's the source? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. Did you get what he just said there in verse number two? You want something, but you don't have it, so you kill somebody to take it from them. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Verse 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it in your passions, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or, or fighting or uh, being against God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy 
of God? Or you, do you suppose it is to you no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that it has made to dwell in us? But He gives more grace, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. That last line again is what we talked about earlier. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. The root cause, according to this passage, of every conflict, both internal and external, the wars that go around in our, in our relationships and within our own selves, it comes from sin. Is that's the conflict. Because we are not in connection with God, because we are living lives our own way. So how can a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, declare war on God? That's what it says there. You, know, you have conflict. He's, he's writing this not to people that do not know Christ as their Savior. He's writing this to churches. He's writing this to people who follow Jesus Christ. You may have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You could be 100% secure in that relationship. I believe that once Jesus Christ comes into your life, the Holy Spirit seals our salvation, and we cannot lose it. But we can still live as if we are not followers of God. Another way of saying this, if you were in the military, and I've, I've heard this phrase, it's an old-fashioned type of phrase, is you fraternize with the enemy. You fraternize with the world. You fraternize with the things that are not of God. In order to connect with God in 2018, we, there are some enemies that you and I need to avoid. The first enemy, remember there's three for each. The first enemy, according to this passage, is the world. Now, if you take this quite literally, if you're one of those literalists, that read every word and go, the world. Well, hang on. Where am I right now? <laughs> I am on earth. This is the world. How am I supposed to avoid the world? Here I am. What this is speaking about in context is the world is the society apart from God. And you can call things that are worldly anything that is apart from or opposing to God. James 4, verse 4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy to God. Other passages in the Bible teach that you cannot serve two masters. You either love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. You can't serve two masters. You cannot say, I'm going to enjoy and live totally apart from God in every aspect of my life and then go back and go, God, I really want to be connected with you as well. You can't have it both ways. And James is warning us 
2,000 years ago, we think we're so modern, we're so advanced today. The same things that we struggle with today were struggled with the local church 2,000 years ago. And he calls them, and he uses really strong language. He calls them adulterers. If you happen to read, but please don't, the tabloids, adultery is kind of the norm. Who's with this person? Who's with that person? You go back and you're forth. I mean, you know, one week you're with this person and the next week you're with somebody else. When I made my marriage vows to my wife, we promised each other that we would be faithful to one another. And I believe that it's totally unacceptable for my wife to come and say, Michael, I love you, but I also love this man too. I, I wouldn't accept that. I wouldn't accept that she says, oh, Michael, I love you, but also I want to love this person as well. Is that okay? And it's quite offensive. And as I was thinking through this and mulling this over and studying out this verse this week, it actually made me feel physically uncomfortable to think that my wife could be with anybody. So keep your eyes off of her. Can you think about it? It's, it's offensive. It makes me actually physically unwell and my, my stomach goes, ugh. That's what James is writing to you and I, talking about when we live in the world and we focus upon the things that are apart from God and we bring them into our lives and live as if they're the norm and what we should live, and then we come along and say, God, I really want to connect with you. I want you to build me up and exalt me. We go, well, you can't have it both ways. He says that the enemies to avoid, first of all, is the world. The second enemy to avoid is the flesh. Now again, as you look at yourself, you go, that's me. What is flesh? Flesh is simply the old nature that we were before we came to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. And the Bible acknowledges a number of times, especially the Apostle Paul in his writings. He teaches that we are in constant battle between the things that I know I'm supposed to do and the things that my body tells me that I really should do. And the things that the Bible teaches that I should do and the, you know, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are holy, whatsoever things are of good report. We, we read through the Scripture and go, that's exactly what I want for my year. But what happens? We constantly get drawn back and there's a battle going on within us. James asked the question in verse number 1, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? The flesh, it's at war within you. We need to avoid the things. If you are an alcoholic, do not go sit at the bar and let everyone else drink around you and go, well, I'll just remain really strong. You're putting yourself in a position, that's a, silly, that's a really simplistic example, but how many times do we do similar things? We have a, a problem with the things that we come into our mind and we go, God, will you please forgive me, purify and clean my mind. I don't want to see those images. I don't want to see those things, but we'll go and we'll, we'll and I'm not anti-computer and I'm all pro-computer and I like Netflix. But we, you watch those things, and there's so much rubbish that we expose ourselves to, and we go, well, God, please clean my mind out. But then we go on the other side, and we expose ourselves to things that are asking us to fall. And he's saying here, avoid those things. Don't put yourself in a position to fall. 
I know with my children, this is a really silly example, okay? I know that, because I got some Toblerone for Christmas, that I purposely have not opened. Because I know as soon as I open, my kids think that I can't count how many little peaks are there. And they'll think that I won't notice when they take one of those little peaks and all of a sudden it's a little bit shorter. As if, oh, I just opened it up and instantly it was only three left. So what do I do? In order to not expose my kids to the temptation, and they, they still try to steal from me, what do I do? I put it away from them so they can't see it. Purely for selfish motivation. But it's a similar thing. If, the, if it's right there in front of you, what are you going to do? Some of you, have, uh, you probably have made the New Year's resolution to lose weight uh, or, or to get fit this year. I tell my wife all the time, Tammy, please do not buy ice cream. Because at night, when the kids are in bed, it calls to me and it asks me to come to it. And I, and I come and I, and I eat it. And it's delicious. And I love every bite of it. And then later on, I go, you know what? I really shouldn't be doing that at 10 o'clock at night. So I, I go back and I say, please don't plate this in temptation in front of me. And do, you know, and do you know what she says? She'll come back and say, but Michael, every time I don't have ice cream, you complain. So we, we can't win. In the flesh, in ourselves, he's saying here, avoid that. Don't put yourself in a position. If you want to be connected with God, you want to have that close relationship with God, you want God to elevate, to build you up, to make you and be who God created you to be, he says there, avoid the world, avoid flesh. And the third one is one that we can avoid, but is always around us. And the third is, to avoid the devil. Verse number seven. He gives some teaching. And if it was only as simple as this. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How many of you can think of different temptations that you suffer from? If you can just go resist and it will go away instantly. It, does, it doesn't work that way. We'll look at, in the next part, some positive things that we can do in order to resist the devil. But this is not just that one of us throw away like, oh, watch out for the devil, he'll get you. I firmly believe that the Bible teaches that the devil, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, is, says be sober-minded. In other words, wake up. Be clear about what is true. Be watchful. Don't, you know, don't neglect, don't close your eyes. Look around. Be constantly aware of your surroundings. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, this wasn't written just to scare little kids at night in order to make them do good. Like, you better do good, otherwise the devil's going to come get you. It was, that's not what he was written for. It was written because we live in a world surrounded by spiritual things. We often are not aware of them because we're not watching for them. We're not aware of our surroundings. And if you can think of, and I like watching documentaries. My kids don't, but I enjoy watching documentaries. And documentaries, particularly ones on Africa, and you see the lions and you watch the little impala or the springbok, and what are they constantly doing? 
their ears are always going around and they're looking. And uh, the meerkats are always funny because they're always looking around for something. Because something around them will kill them any given moment of any given day. And they always have to be aware. In a similar way, you and I have to be aware. We have to constantly be ready to recognize when the devil is going to give us opportunity to do wrong. I believe that the Bible also teaches that when we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit secures us, we cannot be, as a Christian, can be possessed by the devil. But we can certainly be influenced. Another way of saying that is oppressed from outside and, and pushed and guided. We can be, have things put in front of us that if we allow them to come into our mind, they will, they will corrupt our, our minds, they'll corrupt our actions. We often think of this and we go, oh, it's no big deal. It's not a big deal. You know, the devil, or oh, I can handle him. I'm strong enough. I can be strong. I can push through. It's all well and good, and I've never been exposed to a lion or a tiger or a bear without a barrier between me and the animal. And I am very brave when there's plexiglass between me and the lion. In fact, I don't mind standing right up on the edge. I'll make faces at it. I'll tell you you're weak. You, know, you can insult it. But if you take away that plexiglass and I'm standing right there in front of a wild African lion, how brave are you? If you're, if you're full, you go, I can do it. And that's a similar thing here. Uh, one of the most effective things that we've done as a church to, to meet people that we have no other connection with is things like letterboxing. And we've literally handed out tens of thousands of things in the letterboxes to invite people to come into our fellowship to let them know we exist. And there's a particular street in Usher that I'll, I've done a couple of times. And there's a Doberman that lives on that street. And it's the very end of one particular street, and it's a, it's a cul-de-sac, and the very last house on the street, and it was the last house for me to do in that whole section. And I come around the corner, and that Doberman comes out and sits right next to the letterbox. And I have the card in my hand, and it doesn't say on there, no junk mail, so they want, my, they want it. And I'm standing there, and I look at it, and so I said, maybe he's friendly. So I take a, a step forward, and so the dog stands up. And then I take another step forward and go, oh, maybe he wants to come say hello with his little stubby tail wagging back and forth. It wasn't wagging. And you, he's, his growl begins, and I am still probably at least 20, 30 meters away, and I stop. And I think to myself, my car is probably 100 meters that way, the dog between me and me, I don't mind dogs, but if there's a plexiglass in front of me and the government, no problem at all. But when it's right in front of me, and I actually I prayed this prayer. I said, God, you're going to have to <laughs> let them know about Jesus another way. <laughs> I actually went back there a couple of times, and one time the dog wasn't there, so I put it in the letterbox. And it's not just to give people junk mail. It's so people can hear that Jesus loves them. You know, it's interesting, I, I, that came to my mind as I was thinking about the roaring line of the devil seeking whom he, someone to devour. It's a scary thing being exposed to a dog that you don't know that's going to bite you. 
And that's the imagery that they're using here. It's not something to play around with. Go, oh, I can handle him on my own. He says there, avoid the world. Avoid the flesh. In all the words, outside of the things of God. Avoid the devil. Don't play around with him. Satan's first and greatest sin was laid out in the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah wrote about him in, in Isaiah 14 and verse number 13. And he says, you said in your heart, talking to Lucifer, Satan, who became Satan, I, this is him talking, Satan, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. And what he's saying there is, he was saying, I am going to be higher than God. And of course, that was the downfall of Satan. Pride was the downfall of Satan, Lucifer, and who became Satan. Remember I said earlier, the opposite of humility is pride? The next part of this message is the positive side. Things that we need to follow. We know what we're supposed to avoid. Now look at, let's see what we need to follow. The instructions to follow. In James chapter number 4, verses 4 through 7, he gives a transition. Now it says Ikea on the screen. If, if you've been in part of this church for a while, uh, I've said in the past, I'm not going to buy Ikea furniture anymore. And I did. and Because my wife, she's stronger than me, and she made me buy them. And we were in Perth over Christmas, and we went back. And we walked around, and I got a whole bunch of meatballs. And we went back. And you know what's a frustrating thing about Ikea is that fact that they give you exactly the right amount of screws and exactly the right amount of dowling exactly the right amount of things and the instructions. And when you end up at the end and you have things left over, you know that you haven't followed the instructions correctly. And, but you look at it and you go, I have no idea where this, the extra pieces are from. So therefore, kids, just be very careful. <laughs> the instructions to follow for you and I in our lives as we look at this passage are actually not that difficult to understand and comprehend. But I firmly believe that they're very difficult to live out by yourself. You cannot do this on your own. You need God with you every step of the way. And there are certain prayers in your life and my life that I believe that God wants to answer. And one of the prayers that I believe that he wants to answer is, God, will you teach me? Will you guide me? Will you instruct me, teach me, make, help me become the person you want me to be? Those are the sort of prayers of humility that God says, yes, I want to answer those. The first one underneath instructions to follow is, in verse number 7, it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. The rest of that verse says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you want to resist the devil... You have to, first of all, submit yourselves before God. This is actually a military phrase. It's a military term. and has to do with get in the proper rank. A number of years ago, um, when the U.S. aircraft carriers would come into Fremantle, and one of the U.S. aircraft carriers came in, and there was a man that I knew through my mother, and I, I went and got a tour of, of the ship with him. And as you walked around... I just called him by his first name. But as you walked around, 
all these other sailors would stop and they go and they salute as they went by and you kept walking and you know what it made me feel pretty good you know, walk past everyone stops and salutes he was a commander He's way up there in the ranks, and people would stop and salute as he went by. He was a pilot, and he had a squadron that he, that he led. And you know what's interesting is no one was saluting me. They were saluting him. When we are with God and we give him the proper reverence that he deserves, we submit ourselves underneath him, we can walk along and go, I'm with him. As the commander, as, as, as walking around and going with the commander, I didn't, we actually ate dinner on the ship, which was really cool. We went up the top to the officer's lounge, and we sat in there and had a beautiful meal, and there was a, there was a man whose job it is in the Navy, and this is his role, is to serve the officers. And it was, it was like going to a restaurant. It was lovely in there, all within a ship with 5,000 other men going around. It was absolutely incredible. I had no right to be there. The only right that I had was the fact that I was with the guy that had the rights. When we submit to God, it, it opens ourselves up not to be pushed down, but to actually be risen up. It gives us more rights. It gives us more opportunities. There's some powerful words that we can use to submit to God. And it's not a hard phrase. In fact, it only has two letters. When God prompts your heart and he promises to prompt your heart, when he guides you, when he convicts you, when he says, I want you to do this. Listen, two powerful words. Today, our youth are going off to youth camp. If you're going off to youth camp, I want you to especially pay attention to this. Because going to youth camp, you're going to be exposed to opportunities to hear about the fact that God loves you. He cares for you. has a purpose for your life. And something as powerful in my own life as a teenager going to, to summer youth camp was two-letter word. When God prompts you, you say, okay. I know that wasn't hard, was it? God prompts you, you say, okay, God, I want to do what you want me to do. Okay to God. That's submission to, to God. And I believe we'll have a tremendous camp if we go in with the attitude of saying, I will submit. Okay, God. The next one is... After you submit to God, you say, okay, your relationship begins to grow, and as you grow, you draw near to God. That is not going along on your own and saying, okay, God, I have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven when I die, but I'm going to live this life by myself. It says, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. How are we to draw near to God? He answers it in the second part of that verse when he says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. A very, very silly example. Have you ever had an ear infection where your ears are full either with water or wax or something else and everything is muffled? I had an ear infection in one ear, and it took me a couple months to admit that I had it. So I went to the doctor, and he gave me some, some medicine, and literally within a couple of days, everything, all of a sudden it went, <laughs> amazing. I could hear like everything was being muffled in one ear for a couple months, and, and it was clear, and it was amazing. I could, Kids, be quiet. You're so noisy. 
It had to do with I had to get the infection out, to clean it out so that I could hear properly. In a similar way, when you draw near to God, when you have sin in your life, when you're carrying around the burden of sin that God wants to forgive, and he said, I want to forgive. I've already died on the cross. I paid the payment to forgive the sin, except you keep carrying it around on your back. The burden of your sin is carrying it around. As soon as I say things like that, things will come to your mind about things that you may have done. Confess them to God. Give them over to God so that you can be close to him because they're barriers to your relationship with God otherwise. James chapter 1, verse 8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man is, should I, shouldn't I? Should I, shouldn't I? You ever been behind a person in the car that is double-minded? They kind of go, should I pull out? No, I won't. Should I pull uh, Yes, I'll pull out. And you're behind them going, should I ram them behind or should I not? A double-minded man is unstable. Should I, shouldn't I? It's dangerous. So we should submit to God. Draw near to God. The the third one is humble yourselves before God. That's taken straight from the Scripture. In verse number 9, he gives us the, when we are living apart from God, living in our pride, remember he asked in the very beginning, where are all the wars and conflicts coming from? Well, he answers that and he gives us the proper response. Confess them and give them back to God. Verse 9 says, be wretched, be mourned, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and let your joy to gloom. And he gives us the, the, the proper response. Verse number 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Life is not all about you and me and our happiness. But I f- firmly believe that when we live lives that are humble before the Lord, that we are living lives that are connected to God, our Creator, that results in happiness, joy, and peace. He says their laughter will be turned to mourning. Because once you're exposed to truth, once you know something to be true, you can't unknow it. Kind of like if I knew my car had no oil, I would not drive it because I know that it has no oil. When I know that there's things in my life that are not following and connected with God, I want to know it. I want to admit it. I want to humble myself before the Lord so that he can, the last part of that verse again, exalt us. This year for Southwest Baptist Church, we as a church family, we need to come alongside others and be an encouragement to others. We need to come alongside and, and to bless and to guide each other. So one of those powerful times of our service is not the singing or the message. It's afterwards and before church if you show up early enough. And we encourage one another. We mean challenge you. Stay after church. Enjoy a cup of coffee or tea. There's food out there. And just get to know people. Enjoy each other's company because that's the joy of living and being part of a local church. I have a couple questions for you. The principle is God will lift me up when I connect with him. I have three questions for you and then we'll close in prayer. If I was to ask God, what would he want me to avoid? Not what do you want to avoid, because I already know that. 
But if I was to actually ask God, and I encourage you, think through that. God, what do you want me to do? Humble yourself before the Lord. The second one is, in 2018, which of the three instructions do you need to begin to follow? That is, submit to God, draw near to God, or humble yourself before God. Which one of those do you need to follow? Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. The beginning point of that is to humble yourself and say, God, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your love. Will you allow Jesus to come into my life? Save me from my sins. That's the first point. In order to have that relationship with God, you must humble yourself before God. And the third one is, in what ways have you experienced connecting with God? One of the joys of my life is looking back on times when I have been close to God, and you go, I want that again. I want that close relationship with God in 2018. I don't want this to be a year that's flat. I want this to be a year of growth. On the front of your bulletin, I have a challenge for us as a church, is to read our Bible. We can challenge you. Every single one of us, if you don't have a physical Bible, I'm happy to buy you one. Let me know. I will joyfully go buy you a nice Bible. I won't buy you a cheap one. I'll buy you a nice one. Also, on your phones or on your tablets, you can download apps that uh, allow you to read the Bible. You can have the Bible with you wherever you go. There's different reading plans. There's things to encourage you with devotions. There's things that are specifically for children that will help teach the Bible stories and principles to your children. There's some great resources there. In 2018, in what ways can we experience God greater as we look forward to moving forward and growing closer to him in every single day?